I am Reverend Deborah Phillips, and welcome to Discovering Spirit Within, a spiritual life center podcast dedicated to helping people discover and activate their personal relationship with the divine. Well, hello, everybody. Today, I welcome back my friend Carol Knight, who is the uh, yoga teacher extraordinaire, and we had such fun in our last conversation that I've invited her back. Good morning, Carol. How are you? Good morning. I'm well. Thank you for having me. Well, you know, we uh, we had so much fun. I just thought it would be time to do it again. Plus, which you had some questions for me about a book you were reading. So I, for several months now, at least a couple, have been listening to an audio book by Neville Goddard called, um, it's either The Law and the Promise or The Promise and the Law. I'm not sure The Law and the Promise. I've got it in front of me. And I like it, you know, of, of of all the people and writers I've bumped up against in this sort of new thought or or whatever we want to call it. um, I like this guy, Um, but he has thrown out a practice that because I'm an analytical thinker doesn't make particular sense to me and he calls it the art of revision or the art of revising your life and the example that he gives is of an elderly man who I realize now is probably my age Uh, (laughs) and this man had been in terrible pain in his low back for his entire life from early childhood um until the point when he comes to see neville at some some time in his 60s in terrible pain and doctors you know he's done everything he's exhausted every every avenue he knows to exhaust with really no no help at all so in kind of poking around and talking to neville he has this memory of of swinging really high and wrapping himself around the top of the swing flying off of course and landing on his back just a memory that he hadn't thought about because he was a kid and he just hopped up shook it off and went on So what Neville had him do um, was each night, he's big on this uh, each night as you're sort of drifting off to sleep. That's the place he likes to to kind of take you. He had this man go back to that day of the accident and visualize as much of it as he could, as exactly as he could remember it, except for the part where he flew off and hurt himself. At that point, he had him revise and see himself. And I don't remember the specifics, but I seem to remember that he was just swinging higher than anyone had had ever, ever swung or swang or swinged in their whole life. And his mother was watching and he and he turned it into a really thrilling moment. And he did this every night just before he fell asleep for about three weeks And in that time, he began to notice that his pain was better, 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 better. And by the end of the three weeks, he had no pain at all and never did his pain recur. So 
the author goes on to, you know, these books for me and you know me are a little long on anecdotal evidence, which I don't mean to disparage, but it's hard to look at it kind of scientifically, at least for me. Um, but he had numerous examples um, to throw out um, that addressed everything from this man and his pain to a couple wanting to buy an impossible home. Um, they all went to the point where they felt they had been stymied in their forward progress and then began this re revising. So I have a certain what I think is healthy skepticism and, and resistance, but I'm wondering because you're always my go-to um, for this stuff. And if, if anybody has a chance of using words that I'm going to be able to have, uh, let's say a lesser amount of resistance to, it'll come from you. So I, I, I know that I've asked you about this in the past and you were familiar with it and even kind of had your, a more modern practice that you talked a little bit about. So in, enlighten me, if you will. Oh, no pressure there, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, first of all, um, I have to agree with you that the books that are full of all the anecdotal information, um, I th I've always thought a, a couple of three examples are helpful. But when, um, and this was, this was a definitely a thing when he was writing and definitely a thing in the 50s and 60s. Um, and I don't know when he wrote a lot of this. I was looking, and he was born in 1905, and he came to the States. He was born in Barbados, and he came to the States in the 20s. Um, and then somewhere after that, he started studying all of this mysticism and, and, and metaphysical stuff. Um, but the my, 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 my thing about a lot of these books, and I think I've mentioned this, I know I've mentioned it before in the podcast on some episode, is that it's like they tell you, here's this principle, go, and then they tell you all these stories of these miraculous things that supposedly happened overnight. Now, I love the fact that, that this one, it took the, the man three weeks. Yes. <laughs> you know, um, Myrtle Fillmore, who she and her husband, Charles Fillmore, founded Unity's, you know, School of, uh, Church of, School of Christianity, and she had tuberculosis. And every woman in her family before her had died from TB because back in the late 1800s, TB was the, kind of the thing. And so she just thought that she was going to die from it. And she went to a lecture because that was what people did then. They went, they didn't go to the movies, they went to a lecture. And this man, whoever it was, talked about that God was inside her. And somehow it clicked with her. And she walked out thinking it would, you know, if God is inside me, I can't be sick. Now, it took her two years, but she healed herself or she was healed and she lived and they started the, you know, started a healing ministry and, and all of that. So, um, you know, we need to, I think, first of all, look at, uh, here's a great story, but how does it play out in my life? And then there's the whole idea of, of going back and, and, and changing, changing what happened in the past was essentially what the question is, right? Is how do I, I it, it happened. And, um, <sighs> I mean, this, this, this could be a, like a six hour conversation, but, um, our, our, you know, our bodies remake themselves. I mean, our cells are continually regenerating, but they, they, they divide. And so they carry the same memory as the cells before. And so what you're really doing in, in a case like this is changing the, the memory, the cellular memory. 
You're not going back and you're not changing what actually happened, but you're changing, you're, you're telling yourselves, you're telling your body a different story. And we live by story. Everything is a story. I mean, what we're doing right now is a story. And so our subconscious, um, our etherical bodies, there's no, uh, our subconscious has absolutely no filter whatsoever. So if I, if someone says something to me, it goes straight into my subconscious, which is why it's such a, such a, a horrendous thing to say negative things to kids, you know, call them stupid or whatever, because the subconscious just believes it. And then you grow up and you get that filter and then you have to go back in and talk to the subconscious and say, look, we're not believing this after all. <laughs> yeah, this, this seems a little of a dangerous way to have set this up and then put it in the hands of human beings. You know, this, this subconscious that is so, so, so impressionable. Thank uh, you very much for that lead in because I have a quote from the book. <laughs> <laughs> that you didn't know I was going to do. Um, it said, man is such an extraordinary, of course, they always said man because this was not now. Uh, man is such an extraordinary synthesis, partly tied to his senses and partly free to dream that his internal conflicts are perennial. The state of conflict in the individual is expressed in society. And so we have this inner self, this inner life that knows on some level that we're, we're able to create our reality. We're able to create what goes on in our life. And then we walk out into society and, you know, and especially in these times where there is so much external conflict, we're really confused. Yeah. We are yeah. really confused, you know, but I was also thinking of a couple of examples of, um, this didn't have to do with my physical body, uh, but it had to do with, with changing my past, which is the other thing that he talks about is changing the past. And I was married to a man for a, a few couple of three years who was a pathological liar. I believe he had a personality disorder. I don't know what that was because back then I hadn't heard of personality disorders. This was back in the seventies. Um, and I was just, they didn't tell me which personality disorder it was. But he lied and he lied. And I mean, he told me once that he would go to 7-Eleven and tell me he'd gone to Circle K. He just, he was just, you know. And so, you know, during this, oh, this was the, no, we were married for seven years. And all kinds of screwy things happened. And, you know, we never had enough money. And he was, and I couldn't figure out why he was doing this to me. And at the uh, and it was towards the end of the marriage when I got into unity, when I got into medical physical thinking, and it was actually what helped me release myself from that. But after after a couple of years, I was able to sit there and go, that was him, that wasn't me. So whoever, whatever he was doing, he was doing it to whoever was in front of him. So if you had been in front of him, he would have been doing it to you, and it wasn't personal. And at that point, I was actually able to not, not I, it wasn't even forgiving him. It was just, oh, well, that was just, that's how that was. And that's why that was. And it wasn't about me, except what I was doing with it. Right. And I also think that, that so much of this comes back to what, we're, what, we, what we do with what comes along. Now, you brought up a good point that I, I just want to revisit quickly, probably a little side road, um, of how much, clearly, how much we're all influenced by 
societal thinking. Um, what is possible? What is not possible? What is true? What is not true? I know I grew up in a family with two very wounded parents who did not know how to dream. And if they could be here to hear me having this conversation with you, it would make no sense to them because for them, life was a slog. It was really very foolish to expect happiness. So where I tend to get lost with this thinking is right at the start when someone says something like, happiness is man's natural birthright because that is not what I was brought to, up to believe at all. And it, it is a belief that has persisted to this day. I mean, I have some awareness about it, but it is a belief that is still there. And it, it I bring it up only because it just, this for me, embracing kind of the wonder, and I use the word magic a lot in the most respectful sense that I can, um, because I find life, even though it's challenging, pretty flat. And so you give me something that's tinged with a little bit of magic and it makes me very happy. It's so easy for just your little dreams and your little explorations into a practice like revising your life or simply just, I'm gonna start right here and create a better one with my thoughts because it, what happens for me, it, are many voices, the voices of parents, the voices of teachers, the voices of everyone who said, you know, you don't have a right to be here, period. You were born in original sin. So you're sort of doomed right from the get-go. And how dare you think that you can spend your life navel-gazing and daydreaming, you know, get out there and work, work, work at something you really hate that devours your soul and, and then die. And so it, I don't know, if it's even really possible to, to overcome that kind of past. Talk about a past to revise, huh? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because... Well, I mean, first of all, I'm going to say thank God for all those people or I would be out of a job now. <laughs> <laughs> we want to do what we can. <laughs> you know, there, there's so many different ways to talk about this, but... Um, first of all, I don't think any of us is ever are going to get over everything and life is never going to be completely perfect. And I don't like to talk about happiness. I like to talk about joy. There is, um, there's a book called the left hand of God by Ursula Le Guin. I don't know if you've read it. She was very, very Zen, very much into Zen. And her stuff for me is, is hard to understand. And at the same time I get in her flow and I just float along. But there is this, in, in this story, um, these two men are, are, are bound together who, of course, don't like each other and whatever, but circumstances make them have to take this long, long, long trek, and they have to care, go across a tundra. And it's a very long, drawn-out uh, narrative, and, you know, you love narratives, so you would love this, but... Um, there, 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 there's two different things that stood out for that whole thing in me. And one of them is, as I was there, we were walking along, at some points it was so bright and there was just the snow and it was so bright, there were no shadows. And one of them fell into, into, a, into a ravine or a crevice because there was too much light and they couldn't see. And then, of course, they had the time when there was so much dark, there was no light and they couldn't see. And so there was this thing of the shadows are necessary. 
we have to have contrast and we have to have shadows. Um, but the other part is he, you know, he, the, the narrator is talking about what a horribly difficult time this was. And every night they would, you know, huddle together in the cold and, and, and try to sleep. And they didn't know if they were going to have enough rations. And he said, it was very hard. He said, and he just talked about how horrendously difficult it was. And he said, but still somewhere within me, there was a sense of joy. So I think more in terms of joy than I do happiness. And I think happiness is something that our culture tries to sell us. Yes. Yes. Usually through, through lots of distractions. Lots of distractions. And here's a great product. And, you know, the other night I was putting moisture on, on my face and I almost turned to Jim and said, do I look younger yet? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't invest in all of the really expensive stuff, but for some reason that popped into my head. Um, so the, the thing is, is we come in as these pure, clear entities, and then it starts getting piled on us. From the moment we hit, well, in fact, you know, they say we can hear it while we're still in the womb. But, you know, as soon as we get here, it's this is how you should be. This is good. This is bad. You're hearing what the adults are doing. You're hearing what other people are doing. And we're all just taking it in. And we don't have developed filters for a long time. And then, then trying to figure out what to do with all that stuff and, and to improve our quality of life. And I look at what I teach and what we do. It, it, I don't, I'm not looking for pure enlightenment. I'm not looking for pure redemption. I'm looking for quality of life and to live my life to the best, the best way I can in the most peaceful way I can rather than trying to invent a whole new perfect life that where nothing ain't ever going wrong, because that's just not possible. That's sort of another little bone that I, that I pick with these ways of thinking, which really I'm picking it with myself because it's my, my misunderstanding. I think of what, what's being offered sometimes, but it, I, I do sometimes find myself thinking when I, depending on who I might be listening to, and it's a narrow field, but I have a handful of stuff that usually I will listen to on YouTube, and there, there are, you know, I have those days where it makes a lot of sense, makes perfect sense, and everything that is made was once conceived in someone's imagination. Um I, I get, it's always been hard for me because it does feel like you're trying to turn life into this schmaltzy walk through the, the rose petals. And, you know, I know people who have great beliefs in, I'm not even sure what to call it, new thought or thoughts create things that are, have created really wonderful um, things for themselves, but that doesn't mean um, that nothing is ever going to go wrong. And, and it's, it, if you listen and read enough of this, at least I start to almost feel that anytime I do have a, uh, what I consider a bad day, it becomes another way to sin almost, if that makes sense, you know, it's a little different than the Southern Baptist way my mom heaped on me and the Catholic way that I took on later on in life. But, um, it, it, how do we, so if, if 
I have just about 50 questions. You know, how do how do we straddle that that line? That's probably another whole podcast somewhere along the line. But how do we temper? How do we be magical and approach life in this magical perspective without being, for lack of a better word, dumb? Um, (laughs) I adore you. Okay. (laughs) Well, you know, there was there was um, even a question. um, There's a a, a group I'm in uh, uh, in Facebook that uh, is, is some ministers and somebody wrote in and said so um are we um are we going to be careful and wear masks and shut down our churches or are we going to simply rely on god to keep us safe oh. because if you look at if you try to look at the pure teaching um from the Fillmore's or even from M- M- um Emma, Emma Curtis Hopkins, any of those people, the way they wrote back then, you must, you have to, this is the way to do it. They were breaking brand new ground. And so they spoke in these very definite, you have to terms, because this is stuff that people never had heard of back then. Now we've heard of it, and it's become very popularized. Um, but at the same time, we, uh, we, we have to understand that we can only do so much with our, we can only do so much with our own consciousness. Okay. My consciousness is the only thing I know. Your consciousness is the only, anything, you know, now, if you're driving down the street and all of a sudden, I'm sure you've had this experience. You look over and go, I never saw that building before. And it's been there for like 25 years, right? It's always (laughs) been there, but it wasn't part of your consciousness. And so you don't, you know, you, you, you bring new things into your consciousness and I don't think you really remove things from your consciousness. I think you bring things in that override or, you know, so it's like filling up a glass. You've got a little gunk in the bottom of your glass and you start pouring water into it. And eventually that stuff rises and and overflows and goes out so that it, that becomes bigger than the old stuff. I mean, the truth is, is I know, I know your background and I am constantly amazed that you're even a functional human being much less honestly, Carol, much less what you have done with your life. And yes, you've, you've had some really hard times, but you are an extremely successful yoga teacher. You're an extremely popular yoga teacher. You have this menagerie of animals that, that, you know, fills your heart. And, um, I think they're, they continue to help heal you. And, and you're able to say that your parents were very wounded people. And there's a lot of other ways you could see them. And there's a lot of other ways you could talk about them. But you have grown to a point where you can see them as wounded people. And so it's a, it's a progression. It's a, it's a process. And the word that I have become disliked the most is there's no outcomes anywhere. You know, there, there, there are some resolutions to things, but the minute that's resolved, we're on to something else. The next thing that, you know, that has been one of the, one of the few teachings that, and I'm not sure if I should really be, be calling specific people out. So when I do, it really is meant to be respectful, but one of the teachings that I hear all the time when I will listen to uh, Esther Hicks uh, Abraham, uh, which I just struggle. I just struggle. Yeah. But she talks a lot about one thing that 
really made a lot of sense to me. And it put the first kind of path under my feet that I was ever aware of, of like, okay, I have a way I can negotiate this now because you know me, I want to go from A to Z as quickly and efficiently as possible. I'm not interested in taking a side trip to see the pretty scenery. I have <laughs> something to do and let's just do it. But I always, in with the amount of time I've spent in meditation retreats and studying Buddhism, you would think I would know better than this. I expect each and every event that's finalized or resolved, I like that word resolution, to be the final culmination and it never is. And that's the one thing that this Abraham person talks about a lot is try not, we know that you're not comfortable with contrast as human beings. We know that you have to have it. You will never stop creating. You will never stop anything because the life force that propels you on, call it by any name you care to, will always lay in front of you the next possibility, the next possibility, the next, doesn't mean you have to go after every possibility, but you know, she, she kind of makes me laugh. She'll say, probably you will, because you guys tend to chase after the next shiny new thing. But that contrast made a lot of sense to me because in the past, when people have said things like, well, you can't know the sun if you haven't seen the rain. <laughs> I just want to give them a big sock and the kisser. You know, your your insides are falling out and you feel like your world is is on the brink of collapsing and then someone wants to hit you with platitudes from their grandmother, no less. But, you know, nobody likes to see another human suffer, right? We, we do want to make everything better. But that notion... So I was able actually to stop labeling things for some of the time as good or bad. It's become more now, if it's not something that, that I perceive as threatening me in a giant way and it, 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 right at that moment, I can step back from it and go, this is, all I'm seeing here is this sort of I don't know what to call it, a, a space, an empty space, a full space, a space between where I am and where I think I want to go. And I have finally come to realize rather than fighting so much about that space to understand that it's kind of like a, it's kind of like the peat bog of life, you know, full of all sorts of vitamins and minerals and richness. And um, it's very creative. Uh, so I, I don't dislike it as much, which is another reason that I'm I'm not quite sure what I think about um, this notion of revising the past. Now, I, I do believe the, the stories that are written, I really do. And, um, for that man to have healed himself of lifelong back pain by revising his past, I mean, I say more power to you. I don't tend to have, the, those are the kinds of experiences I want where I address something right here at point A and three weeks later we're at point Z and it all makes sense. For me, even the journey a lot of times just seems like I'm falling into ever greatening levels of confusion um 
but even that I, I have decided to, to label that um, as contrast as well. So I, all that to say that I, I don't know really what the value would be of, um, of trying to go back and, and change things. Okay. Or so if I'm just misunderstanding again, maybe that. No, I, 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 I think you, you, you understand, I think you understand it really well. And, um, the question that comes up for me is, is like, well, why would you want to do that? And this person had had a situation where he was in constant pain and couldn't connect why he had it. So there was a reason to go back and look and, and discover what was going on. But it's, it's like, if you don't have something from your past that's really getting in your way, why would you bother to go back? It's not like, okay, so here I am, and hey, my life is pretty good, and I've gotten fairly well, but oh, you know, I tripped on something when I was three. I need to go back and erase that. <laughs> See, and Deborah, you know me. This is what I will try to do. I know. This is why I'm saying this, because I know. <laughs> and it's like, that's it's what is getting in your way now? I mean, it's like we, this whole conversation about even reincarnation and what I was before and blah, 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 blah. It's like the important thing is what's going on right now. And if there is something that's getting in your way, if there's something that um, is keep holding you back, then then you might want to go back and, and look and, and, and see and, and work on that. It's like I am working on a book and it's essentially going to be a channeled book. And I cannot tell you the arguments I'm having with spirit and the resistance and the, my complete and utter knowledge that this is, it's crap and it's never going to come to the fruition. So I probably would be good for me to go back and look at how when I was in high school, when I was a kid, all I wanted to be was a writer. And I talk about it and nobody even acknowledged it. I mean, I didn't even get told, no, I couldn't do it. I was completely ignored, you know, um, and it was just like, I, I, yeah. And so there's part of me and, and that thinks that I'm not a good enough writer or that my guides aren't enough good enough writer. Or I was going to mention this, this earlier and then we got done one of our buddy trails, but all of this comes back to deservability. And you were talking about that earlier and that we really feel like we don't deserve to either be here or to have this or to do that. We have a, a huge sense of not good enough as, as human beings. And the more I do my Thursday morning group and talk with those people um, and talk with people like you doing this podcast, I'm realizing how uncomfortable we really are as being human. It's like, especially when you get on a spiritual path, the first thing we're trying to do is get over being human. And I, yeah, I saw something somewhere that says that, I can't remember who it was, but it said that you, 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 you're wanting to be, you're wanting to ascend, but you haven't even learned how to be human yet. Yeah. I mean, we, we, I, that's why I'm always so, I just shake my head and I think how wonderful it would feel to really have that Eastern perspective that you'll often find in spiritual practices. I, I have seen it more in Hinduism, this notion of bliss, 
um, you know, and the people espousing a blissful life are not people who have been sitting on a cushy throne with people fanning them and feeding them sugared fruits. You know, they're they're people who have gone away and lived in caves for most of their adult lives and suffered many privations. Um, but, you know, to, if, to further a meditation practice, and maybe that needs to happen, maybe it doesn't. I personally think we all have such a unique evolutionary path that the best thing you can do is just try to pay attention to your own and let other people's unfold. But um, the this idea that 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 is so espoused in Hinduism that we were born to be blissful, I really have a very hard time believing that that's true. And I would love to change that. I don't know that I need to believe it 100% because I don't necessarily believe much of anything 100%, but it would be nice to feel like that was something that you really did deserve. And so maybe it's not even about bliss or whatever. Maybe it strictly is about being able to say, I deserve, I deserve. Um, that was something I fought with you about for 15 years. I have, told, I, I have told a story about you is that we, you were one day we were talking and you were, you know, you were, you were struggling quite a lot. And I said, and I said to you, I said, Carol, do you think maybe it's possible that you don't feel like you deserve blah, blah, blah? No, 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 no. That's it. And I said, okay, a year later, almost exactly a year later, we were having another conversation and I said it again. No, 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 no. And that was almost exactly another year later, we were sitting talking and you said, you know, I'm starting to think that maybe I don't think I deserve this. <laughs> that was a hard one for me to not even own up to. I don't feel bad for recognizing it. I'm just no. astounded that it's true, uh, you know, and that I would have been so unaware of it for such a long time. And then I can't help but go back and think, well, gosh, if I, you know, that's where it makes sense to sort of twiddle around in your past. Well, shoot, if I'd known that 20 years ago, what but, would I have done differently? But it's, but the thing I, is, I agree with you that it, we're in the moment we're in and that yeah. seems the best place. Well, but the thing is, is that the information that you are fed when you're really little, um, you know, like I said, the, the subconscious is just taking it all in. Um, you know, we believe our parents because, I mean, parents hold, especially for the very first years of our lives, they all, they, they have their gods in a way because they, they have the power of life and death over us if they don't take care of us. And so we, we think they're right. We listen and we, okay, that this is what reality is. What you're telling me is what reality is. And if you're telling me that I don't, that none of, and then they're, they were telling you that nobody deserved anything. Um, so, I mean, you came by that completely honestly. And it was, it was, it was just kind of so interesting because, you, you know, you said that we just let it go. We didn't talk about it again. And then the day that you said that, and it was like, I use it as an example of how people grow in consciousness at their own rate. And that I was time. able, you know, and I knew, I know you well enough that I was able to just say it and let you have your, your response to it and then move on. And then it just, it came up naturally over a period of time. Um, but I also know that you take these little things and you, you know, whirl them around in your little gerbil cage in your head and, and, um, 
you know, and work on it as we all do. Um, but I think there's another thing that has to do with, with, with a lot of the Eastern religions, the things that we bring in. I've had um, a friend uh, tell me, uh, you know her, Deanna, she did a podcast me a while ago, and she said, you know, people don't really understand Buddhism because it's been translated from, you know, we have such a completely different culture and you take Buddhism out of its original culture and try to put it in the Western thinking and we don't understand it the way it we don't in, in, in its originality. And so in thinking about that, it was like, so out of, out of Hinduism, we get the word bliss, but what does bliss mean to me? And what does bliss mean to them? And I, I, I go to that there's a sense of peace within that I am a spiritual being that you can hurt my body. You can do all this, but you cannot hurt me and that you're at peace with that. And they call that bliss and I'm making this up, but I mean, you know, so I don't know what other, I would be really curious to, to know what their, how we got to the word bliss. But you know we what? think I'll, I'll make it a mission to do a little research okay. on that. Yeah, because you know, and it's the same thing with enlightenment. Yeah, you know, and it's like when you become enlightened, what you don't have any problems. I mean, there. I have a, a friend at, at SLC, one of the one of the uh, facilities people, and I'll we'll walk by each other and go, "Yeah, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. Yeah. After enlightenment, chop wood." carry water and yeah. we just we just nod at each other and we go because life goes on but it's how you it's how you view it it's how you experience it it's what you do with everything that comes along and we're always going to have days when we're triggered we're and then we're going to have days i just wrote something in the for for the book something came through about how you know, you could go out and you have this wonderful, glorious day and you run into cranky people and you handle it really well and you're gracious and you know that they're having a bad day and it's not about you. And then, and you're feeling really good about yourself and it's like, I have conquered this. And the next day you go out and you run into someone and you get triggered and seriously pissed off. <laughs> and you call that a failure and you've decided that you failed in your mission to become enlightened because you became very human again. And it's, and, and so the point there they are making is that that day when you let, didn't let anything get to you is a huge victory. And we're always looking for the big things and it's the little tiny things that make the difference. And we are. And I think that is so very cultural uh, that everything needs to happen in an earth-rending explosion um, that the the day-to-day and the small acts of whatever, kindness or love or uh, that those things don't have meaning because they're not showy. And I, I there's a little saying that the kids have or they did. They, it may be old news by now. Uh, I would see it a lot on Facebook where somebody would say, oh, I went to the beach and I got a great tan. And then the response from their friends would be, if there's no pictures, it didn't happen. And that's kind of um, how, I know it's kind of how I am. It, uh, it's like, I, you know, I want a sign. I want a giant sign, preferably several in a row, one outdoing the one before it. And I heard something so interesting in one of the early chapters of 
the law and the promise where uh, Neville got it. I think this was actually, he was trying to be humorous. And he said, you know, you're, you're looking at this the wrong way. Signs follow, they don't proceed. And I, I just thought, wowie, zowie, that I, maybe I've kind of been, I just need to take a little, a little flip of this because I have always tried to use whatever spiritual path I happen to be learning about at the moment as a shield, as a protection, as a force field to keep life out, uh, put me in a monastery and close the door where nothing can ever touch me. And in my unskillful thinking, that seems like a great spiritual path when in fact, it's when you can stand in the midst of um, life erupting all around you as it often does and still be true to that internal part of you. I mean, I guess you always are, you can't leave it, but we've certainly been taught and that's the danger for me um, because you know, Deborah, it's all about me, about these. <laughs> and I'm so relieved actually that it is all about you because it gives <laughs> you, me a break. You can quit worrying about yourself. <laughs> you know, it's so easy if you're in a mindset kind of like how I've been raised or have my life experiences or if life, if you find yourself in a place that feels um, somewhat desperate, um, you can get your heart broken by these these practices. And I, I just, I'm glad that in these modern times, because you've made the point before, and it's a good one, about just the different styles of speech and writing almost 100 years ago, you know, so different, so different. Than, and so I'm happy that as we evolve, there are, are more culturally appropriate um, lights being shed on, on how to think about these things, not to change them necessarily, but to say, here's a set of words that is, might be a little more applicable now. Uh, I know for me, that's oftentimes really where I get stuck is is in uh the semantics of things um, right and and i look back um let's see i started in metaphysics when i in the mid 70s and then of course i was reading all of the all of the material they started this all started in the late 1800s and up through you know the 20s and 30s and 50s and whatever and it's interesting to me to look back and see how how this is all being taught, even since I got into it in the in the middle 1970s, the way the way we approach it, and part of it is the the original people, Emma Curtis Hopkins and all of her students, like Ernest Holmes and the Fillmores and anybody practically who ever started a metaphysical organization, studied with her, at, you know, back then, is how the consciousness has changed, and nobody had heard of this stuff. I mean, it's been around for centuries, but, you know, bring it to America and let's talk about this. So the way they were talking about it was, A, they were breaking ground. Emma Curtis Hopkins was very consciously, very, I don't know, pedantic in the way she wrote because she was, A, she was talking to men because <laughs> back, you know, and, and also this was brand new stuff. 
And so then we get to where it's a little bit more common, a little bit more common. And now it's become so popular that a lot of it's been so watered down that we've got to come back to basics again. And it's our thoughts create our reality. And it's not like I'm going to sit here and go, okay, I need a million dollars and I'm going to bring that in. That, yes, that is actually possible. But is that the best use of your time and energy? I would rather have a quality of life where I feel content. Um, and I would rather be content than happy, honestly, you know? Yes. Um, yeah. so it's about, I think it's about understanding that we have choices. It's like the gentleman that I was married to, who was the pathological liar. Um, and I'm not, I mean, that was a, a diagnosis. Um, I forgot what I was going to say, but <laughs> we're talking about, um, things getting watered down and watered down and watered down. Oh, well, it'll come back to you. It, it will. But, uh, you know, in, in being married to him, um, A, I learned to be a real survivor. And it's when I to take care of myself. And it was when I got into metaphysics. And it um, the, all of that completely changed my life and the way I looked at things. And I remember one day something happened. Um, actually, the, the, they had come to turn off our power because the bill hadn't been paid, which I didn't know. And he was talking to somebody at the door and I went over and I said, what's going on? And, and he was getting ready to walk around and show them where to turn the power off where I stepped in. And I said, if I get this paid by tomorrow, by tonight, will you not do that? And the guy said, I could lose my job for this, but I'll just tell him that there was a dog in the backyard and I couldn't get to it. So I went out and I got the money and I, you know, I borrowed the money and, and, and paid the bill. He was just going to let the power be turned off. And in that moment, two things happened as I realized I had choices and I realized that I didn't have to live like that anymore. And that all came from, I had not been in, in, um, unity or metaphysics very long at all, maybe a year, but what I was trying to get to with that whole thing when I, I got lost was that at some point we learn that we have choices. And I think that's the difference is when you're a kid growing up in whatever situation, but especially I'm thinking the more dire and more abusive the situation, the fewer choices you really think you have. And so studying this, if nothing else, it teaches you that you have choices and there are different ways to live your life. Does that make any sense? Yes, absolutely. It, it does. And, you know, I've, I've, you know, at, at some point, I'll, I'll have to just share the few small things that I have visualized almost to a T. They were sort of, I called them, you know, test pilots. I was, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, if, if you have me on again, I'll, I'll share about something that happened recently. And, and I, there's just enough that there's a couple of big things to, what I consider very big life goals, um, that it makes sense to me to employ a different way of thinking about, um, because I do have a lot more faith in this now. And I believe that it underpins us as human beings a lot more now than, than I knew 10 or 12 years ago when, when I first started going is what the heck is she talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't we true 
Yeah. So why don't we actually plan to do um, a podcast on, say, we'll call it visioning and, and, and talk about that aspect of it? Because I think this is a really good conversation about, I mean, your first question was, you know, about revising your, your, your past. And it's, it's on one level, you can actually get your cells to change how the, how the hell they are manifesting. And on an, on another level, you're, you're changing the way you think about it and changing how you feel about it. If you, you come to an understanding that it wasn't about you or, you know, you, all of those different things. And, and you might say that that's playing with words and in a way it is, but, um, Charles Fillmore also said, we're not just playing with words. This is a spiritual system. And I loved that how we, or I know, I think it was, well, he used system, but so did Ernest Holmes. And they called it a spiritual system, which to me makes a lot more sense than it being a religion or, a, you know, it's a system that we work with. And That's another conversation I would love for us to have in the, <laughs> in the future about this, because it's a little more empirical. Rudolf Steiner called his version spiritual science. Yeah. Um, you know, so that I'd love for us to pick around in that to okay. take a little bit of the woo-woo out of it, because I have woo-woo overload, um, <laughs> and, and to see it uh, in its practical, um, sort of more modern day. Well, um, you know, yeah, the, I mean, uh, the film was actually, it is Unity, uh, a school of, of, of practical Christianity is, is what they named it. It's, you know, living in the world in a practical way that, you know, but it also improves your quality of life because you are, um, you're not letting your past run you. I think that if, if, if we wanted to take this whole beginning of the conversation and where we came to is that honestly, it's about not letting your past run you. And I always think of this, this, you know, silly story I heard is there's this man was walking down the street and he had a, um, coffee table strapped to his back. And somebody walked up to him and they said, well, why do you have a coffee table strapped to your back? He says, oh, when I was two and a half years old, I was learning to walk and I, I hit my head on it. <laughs> this guy was carrying That's the past. That's kind of what we do. We lug our, our own unique coffee tables around with <laughs> us for a long time sometimes, don't we? That's good. Yeah, we do. And so I, thank you for asking that question today. Um, you know, it's about, ab about understanding what has happened. Um, and you can change how you, how you feel about it, how you react to it. You can put it in, its, in, in, a, in a proper perspective so that it is not interfering with your life now. And I think that was your original question. Yeah. And, you know, in that way, uh, we accomplish what we're trying to accomplish anyway, which is is to live life moment to moment as, as fully and I like your word joyfully as we can. So thank you, Carol. This has been a blast and I'm going to just see you next month. Good to me, my friend. Take care. Blessings. Thank you for listening today. Discover Spirit Within is produced by Spiritual Life Center Sacramento. If you feel inspired and want to show your appreciation and support, please go to slcworld.org forward slash donate. And until we meet again, deep peace of the running wave to you, deep peace of the flowing air to you, deep peace of the quiet earth to you, deep peace of the shining stars to you, 
deep peace of the sons and daughters of peace to you. And may the joys of the world go with you.